same old trouble villains always knocking at the door pretty pictures on the page but nothing ever stays the Thank you, everybody, and thank you, Vandello. Welcome to Graphically Novel. My name is Josh Wasta, a.k.a. Fallout Fieri, and with me, as always, is the phoenix to my tree people, the cyclops to really anything I'm ever reading, (laughs) bear to this comic book. (laughs) It's bear. (laughs) Oh, how true that is. And with us, for the last episode of this season, the lovely and talented Miss Jennifer Holland of the Vanessa. Woo! Taking my victory lap. Woo! You did an entire season! <laughs> I did an entire season! Yay! And uh, our guest tonight is Mr. Josh Staley. Thank you so much for joining us to talk about The Dark Phoenix. Absolutely. I'm just glad to interact with other human beings that are not my wife or stepson. So we're, yep. And as always, an excuse to drink, which we are all doing. When I put the list for season two up, I put it so that anyone that followed our Facebook or any one of my friends could see it. And in the process of that, you asked to do this. You asked to do the Dark Phoenix episode. We didn't know it would be the finale at that time, but it seems very, very appropriate for catastrophic world-ending genocidal energy to come to this planet. Why did you choose Dark Phoenix? And can you give us a little bit of history that you have with graphic novels in general? I started collecting comics issues when I was probably seven, eight years old, which was spawned really from an uncle of mine that has a huge collection of comic books. The first two that I really got into were Spider-Man and X-Men. And he gave me a lot of early Uncanny X-Men issues that he himself didn't really have a desire to read. And understandably so as an adult, why he got rid of them. But for me, it was one that I was most familiar with. And it was a movie that I hadn't yet seen at the time. And I knew it was coming out and I had very low expectations for given all of most of the prior X-Men movies. So I thought it would be fun to kind of rip on that and also go back to something from my childhood. For Dark Phoenix, we have watched the animated series Dark Phoenix. There were eight total episodes. There were four that were the Phoenix, and then there's like a little break, and then there's four more that are the Dark Phoenix that handles this storyline specifically. We watched the new Dark Phoenix movie. Bonus points, I believe that all of us have seen X3. So if we want to throw that in, I'm opening that up for spoilers because who fucking cares if we spoil that movie? And then we, of course, have the Chris Claremont comic. So if you are following along, I will put up the picture of the actual book that we read, which was actually the 30th anniversary of Dark Phoenix when they did a reprint. For those of you following along, the Dark Phoenix saga was issues 129 to 138 of Hub. Let's start with probably where most of us got our first taste. Daily, you talked about how you were reading a comic for this. I actually was not. The X-Men cartoon from the 90s, specifically the Dark Phoenix saga in that. Bear, what's your experience with it? What was it going back? To be totally honest, I did not get the chance to watch the entire saga. I watched most of it. That cartoon is pretty nostalgic for me. Even the parts that are hokey and cheesy, 
are still going to be good, even if it's the Dark Phoenix saga. It's kind of like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Even when it was bad, it was still pretty good. Jen? Yeah, my first experience was also with the animated series. That was really the only experience I had with X-Men until the movies in the 2000s. It was good. I liked it a lot, but it didn't inspire me to go out and read the books. Staley, you were telling me that just before this episode, about 20 minutes before we started recording, you just finished watching the four-part Dark Phoenix with your family. Give me a little bit of that, like, A, what was it like watching again? B, your wife, Heather, was she experienced with it? And C, Liam is how old? Liam will be seven in July. So So his experience, comic book-wise, in general, is very, uh, very green. Yeah, and did he watch it with you as well? Yes. Uh, so how how did the so three of you react? I laughed at various parts of it. Part of it being like that nostalgia from like, oh, yeah, you know, I loved this shit when I was a kid. And the other parts were like, oh, yeah, that's really that happened. Coming from watching the movie again a couple of nights ago, it was kind of a nice refresher of like, oh, yeah, this wasn't as bad as that movie was. Heather got super into it. Heather was glued to the television. Liam was off and on, like popping back onto the Switch and playing Minecraft, which is fair. And Heather cried a little bit at the end, which is very Heather characteristic. And it was mildly entertaining just to watch their reactions more than my own. But yeah, for something that I genuinely haven't watched in what almost 30 years now, 25 roughly, it was pretty entertaining to go back and remember the time that I used to literally watch every new episode when it was coming out in the following week. So We discussed this a little bit on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles episode, but my brother and I would just, we were nuts over this cartoon. It would air, well, when it originally aired, the new episodes would come out on Saturdays, but it would air after school. Once it got two seasons in and just keep going and we wouldn't miss an episode. Didn't matter if we watched it, you know, a dozen times before. But watching it now, so I have a sister that's six years younger than I am. Watching her, I watched a lot of different things. I can probably verbatim give you most Disney movies. I know characters in She-Ra and she did a lot of cartoons that were similar to things that Phil and I watched because we were older. She-Ra was a great cartoon. There are some problems with She-Ra, but as an adult. And the new one on Netflix I've heard is amazing. But anyway, watching this, I was reminded of Gem and the Holograms. The drama in the... Oh, Scott! The, the <laughs> like, oh my god, if you take a drink anytime Cyclops says Gene or Gene says Scott, you'll be drunk halfway through the first episode. It is... Play that game. That sounds way more entertaining. This whole melodramatic gem in the hologram. It was a soap opera with superheroes. And if you would have said that at the time, you would have gotten beat up after school. We were pretty much watching CW animated shows. Thoughts on the Dark Phoenix movie? Same order. Oof. I'll go. I rewatched it, I think, a total of three times. The first time, initially... It was, hey, this is coming out in the movie theater. And then, you know, reviews always come out prior to the movies. I wasn't really impressed with Age of Apocalypse. So I was hesitant to go and see this in the theater. And based on there not really being a single positive review, I opted not to see it in the theater. So my first experience was renting it like when it first came out on digital. And that was a waste of $4, really. So now it's on HBO and you can just stream it for free, which is better, but only to an extent. There's actually a line, and I had to rewind it when we rewatched it the other night, and it says, 
you're always sorry, and there's always a speech, but nobody cares anymore. They said it. I kind of paused for a moment. Heather just, you know, Liam, they just kept watching. But I was like, hold on. And I rewound it, and I watched that same probably three, four times in a row. And it encapsulates everything in the entirety of the movie from like performances by the actors, the way it was written. It just resonated more and more the few times I heard it after rewinding because it really does just kind of sum up the movie in itself. Very slow and it's very boring. And it feels like while it is probably the end of the X-Men films for a while, that they knew it was the end of the X-Men films for a while and nobody seemed to give a shit. Fair enough. Fair? You know, there was so much about that movie that could have been great, but I think like a lot of other superhero movies that I've seen lately, CBS as one of them, I think it suffered from a piss-poor script. The acting was decent. The special effects were good. There was a lot that was really great about that movie until you actually start looking at the script. The script is just garbage. I've never seen anybody screw up Magneto's personality so completely as they did in that movie. I was Especially just... considering how well they had done with him up until then. Arguably one of the better parts of Apocalypse. Yes, that one of the few good parts of Apocalypse. There were so many things, bless all the actors' hearts, they did what they could with what they were given. Jen? I agree with Bear. I mean, the talent was there, and there was some good groundwork that had been <laughs> laid down, but it just, it was overwrought, and not at the level that I had come to expect. From the other films. In regards to that note, did everybody have fairly positive views of First Class, Days of Future Past, even yeah, was, to some extent just, Apocalypse? I was just about to say that I really liked First Class. I really liked Days, Days of, of Future, Future Past. I thought Days of Future Past was a third one. No, it was it was the second one. You're right. Because there have been yeah. four in this franchise. I always, for some reason, think that there's one stuck in the middle there between... I really like Days of Future Past. I like what they did. I like that they kind of reset the continuity so that they could really hit a home run. And then Apocalypse happened, and I was pissed. How do you tee up a chance like that and then just piss it away? And we went and saw Apocalypse in the theater because I'm a big X-Men person. So we rented this as well. I've watched this movie twice in its entirety. I can't tell you what happens in this movie. I mean, honestly, I thought about watching it just before we recorded to maybe be able to take notes or something. But it's like the images of the movie and whatever happened in the movie just slides right off. There is nothing notable. It's not even like notably bad. To stick in my mind. It's not like a Manos the Hands of Fate or something like that where I know how bad it was and I'm like, oh my god, remember the part where they did this? It's not Scorpion King bad where like there was bad CGI. Like Bear said, there was a lot of really good parts to it, but I didn't find the script was bad necessarily. I found it was completely and utterly forgettable. You know what it reminds me of actually a little bit? It reminds me of pick a Fantastic Four movie, like how there was so much potential and the actors did what the actors could do but the script in the end for both fantastic four movies was just junk yeah i mean other than in the first one johnny storm at some point is skiing and ends up making a hot tub out of snow and hits on a girl i only remember that because it was horrible i mean at least it's memorable you know (laughs) there is nothing 
in Dark Phoenix, I can be like, oh yeah, I remember that part. Well, the only All thing right. I remember from both Fantastic Four movies is that both times they managed to completely screw up Doctor Doom. The coolest part of the entirety of the movie happened in literally the first 10-15 minutes, and mostly it's just the cinematics of the X-Men going to space, saving the astronauts, and like the cool special effects with the solar flare and how she became the Phoenix. And outside of that, that encompasses everybody. Like Quicksilver gets a spot. Everybody gets that moment to kind of shine. And then from there, the entirety of the movie was a letdown. That was the same with Apocalypse for me. Because if I remember right, the first 10 minutes of Apocalypse was in Danger Room. Like they were basically fighting Sentinels in the Danger Room. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this is awesome. Oh, look at that. This is the X-Men that I came to see. And then it was really, really horrible until the Quicksilver scene. And then I'm like, oh, my God, it's, it's 80s Quicksilver. This is going to be so fun. And then I was like, oh, right. There's the rest of this. I thought the first 10 minutes of Age of Apocalypse was actually a flashback to 1000 BC or whatever, where they were putting Apocalypse into the sarcophagus or something like that, wasn't it? And it might have been. I don't remember. I watched that movie once in the theater and have not gone back to it. I waited until it came out on Netflix, but I remember that being interesting to me because I hadn't had a whole lot of experience with introductory stuff to Apocalypse other than what we saw in the, the animated series, you know, when we were kids, and they didn't really cover a whole lot of his origins, so I thought that was an interesting bit for me, and then after that it was like, oh, there was really nothing interesting until Quicksilver, and then nothing else interesting until Magneto's scene, and then that was it. Yeah, and on the horrible side of it, Olivia Munn did a better Psylocke on Attack of the Show than she did in a large blockbuster I know Bear said that he thought like the acting overall was fine and like I do agree that the majority of issues come with the script but my biggest thing is Sophie Turner who played Jean Grey by herself doesn't carry a movie and much like we all probably recognize her from Game of Thrones doesn't carry a series either. I feel like they put a lot of that on her and her overall emotion throughout the entirety of the movie just really fell short. And so I kind of counted on like, well, I love James McAvoy and Magneto and his character as Professor X in the earlier couple of movies were overall somewhat enjoyable. And they, I think, fell a little bit flat. In all the reviews that I read when this movie came out that deterred me from going to see it in the theater, somebody said, have you ever watched an athlete at the start of their career and then again at the end. I felt like that analogy really drove it home with how well they played their part. Because Magneto, it was just so lackluster in comparison to the badass he was throughout the first couple of movies. And even the same with McAvoy as Professor X. I was really annoyed with the script that they had for Magneto because he's constantly waffling back and forth between listen, I'm peaceful, I'm trying to do this thing, and then, no, no, oh, somebody died? Well, now I just have to go kill people again. And you're really going to change your entire worldview because one person died in an accident? It seems like a very juvenile plot line. This was something that was meant for, like, preteens to be like, oh, my God, you killed my best friend, now i got to go kill you. Like, really? Yeah, it seems very, to go back to our Birds of Prey episode, it seems very fringed that you have this relationship just, to destroy that relationship. You mentioned James McAvoy, but we also found out during the Birds of Prey episode that his name is actually Ewan McGregor. They're the same person. <laughs> they just go by different names. Dark. I did leave that in. 
by the way, to our Birds of Prey episode of me screwing up Ewan McGregor and James McAvoy because they're the same person. The other thing, you mentioned Sophie Turner playing both Sansa and playing Jean Grey. And I think that you're both right. I think that there is a little actor in there. But in both cases, those characters, Jean Grey and Sansa, are very similar in that what do we know and or care about them? They are not fleshed out characters. They are annoying. They're overly dramatic because they're in a lot of situations and in a lot of scenes that they're in, the girl. And in Sansa's case, the girly girl in a family of tomboys or boys. And that's the problem that I had. I felt that Sophie Turner could have used the opportunity and who knows what happened behind the scenes. Maybe she was trying to add something to Jean Grey and people were like, no, this is Jean Grey. What you see is on the box. She's a Mary Sue. Just keep moving. And that's the whole point of this is that for three quarters of the movie, she's going to be a Mary Sue with some problems. And then all of a sudden she's going to be badass chick. And that's what we're going to do with her because that's what the comic was. And I don't think necessarily that's Sophie Turner's fault. I think maybe we might see something from her later where she gets out of that. I do think that it's a character thing because Dark Phoenix 1000% is the most interesting part of Jean Grey. And that's why it has survived as long as it has. Jean Grey is boring. I'll go on record as saying Cyclops is boring. Wolverine is overexposed, but at least he's not boring, I guess. That's where I am. And I'm a huge X-Men person. It's just, man, there are some characters that just are milk toast, And but Cyclops hey, and Jean Grey are two of those characters. 100%. And I think overall, that's not even just those characters like in this movie. I think that's every character in this movie. Every character, when there was some point in conflict, they're like, I'm angry, and this is exactly why. And there was no subtlety, like there was nothing that was alluded to for you to figure out or to pay attention to. I'm mad because Professor X hid this whole aspect from me. But they literally just said exactly how they felt. Like there was no mystery or thinking, you know, like, what are they getting at? They said what they were getting at, which I think added to the fact that it was boring. There was nothing for you as the viewer to pay attention to or to look for beyond what they already conveyed. Yeah, you were just spoon-fed everything. I really feel like that's not the fault of the character. It's the fault of the director. And there are many, many instances in other franchises where we know that these characters are more than this two-dimensional portrayal. We know these actors are capable of doing more than this two-dimensional portrayal. And so it comes down to the direction. The actors are doing what the director is telling them to do. A lot of times when you look at a movie and you see this where it's just like, okay, emote, show me how you're feeling. Don't tell me how you're feeling. I think that falls squarely on the director's shoulders. We've already done James McAvoy in one other movie. That Atomic Blonde. Atomic yeah. Blonde. Atomic Blonde. And his Love performance it. in that was stunning. And then we and have then, to compare it to this. And I think Atomic Blonde came out, if I remember right, well before Dark Phoenix did, right? Not well before, but a year or two, yeah. So reasonably close together as far as performance-wise. And then we've got James McAvoy and Atomic Blonde doing amazing. And then we see him in Dark Phoenix and it's meh. Yeah. Yeah. The show is going to do something to me that is hurtful 
to say because one of my least favorite things in the world, goddamn X-Men love triangle, but because Hugh Jackman is so much older than the other actors, especially Sophie Turner, they didn't do the Wolverine is in love with Jean Grey storyline, which, God help me, it could have made this a better movie. (laughs) You said that out loud and recorded it. I still might edit it out. It depends on how I feel at the time. (laughs) Editor's note, I still stand by it. I, I mean, like, I don't totally disagree with that statement as the thing character-wise. Yeah. Well, I also found it interesting that of the four movies that we were talking about, only two of the movies had the same director. So there were three directors involved with these four movies. And ironically, one of them was Days of Future Past. That was Brian Singer was the director for that. And he was also the director for Apocalypse. That blows my mind. <laughs> Right. Like, what happened to him? Right. I'm going to guess studio involvement. It's what happens to the best directors, and it's probably why he wasn't there after that. You know, you look at Sam Raimi, who very famously did two Amazing Spider-Man movies, and then the studio got super involved with the third one. He was like, okay, well, go fuck yourself. I'm going to have him you emo games. like Spider-Man 3? Really? I don't can see my face when I say yeah. something like that. I was that. about to say, you got to yep. <laughs> sarcasm emote. Yep. Which is a worse movie? Dark Phoenix, X-Men 3, The Last Stand. Uh, look, bourbon. That's my response. Staley? Did Bear already steal the bourbon answer? He sure did. Oh, you're finishing <laughs> your glass. Oh, I've got the whole bottle in here, so I'm I'm good. I don't know that you say one is necessarily worse than the other. Do they have the same faults as movies? Not necessarily, but do they have at least an equivalent amount of faults that you should hate them both equally? Yes. <laughs> that was a very political, well-done answer. That was a very film school answer. Jen? Which was worse. I liked a lot of the casting for X-Men 3. I thought that it, that was really good. <laughs> but beyond that, I mean, that storyline was... Uh, I did not care for it. That said, Dark Phoenix, uh, I, yeah. <laughs> I like Dark Phoenix more. That doesn't mean that I liked it. I just liked it more. <laughs> I'm going to go on record and say The Last Stand is better, and I will give three reasons why. A, Kelsey Grammer as Beast was only in <laughs> X-Men 3. I like what they did with him. I liked Vinnie Jones as Juggernaut, even though he had the I'm the Juggernaut bitch scene, which I admit in the theater I guffawed. I didn't just laugh at that. I thought it was hilarious because the rest of the movie had been ridiculous. So why not throw in a popular internet? But the third reason is it is as of yet the only film version of my favorite storyline which is the mutant cure and which mutants go for the cure which mutants you know are fighting against the cure because it could be weaponized the fact that rogue was put in that whether or not you actually want to talk about anna paquin as rogue katie grace don't at me it's a whole thing but if any mutant would be involved in the i want to be cured storyline it's rogue 
which they did very well in the animated series. But as of yet, they have not redone that in any film concept. So if I ignore all of the Dark Phoenix stuff, I can watch The Last Stand and say, okay, well, there are some decent parts of this. I can't tell you what happens in Dark Phoenix, so, you know, there. So that brings us to the comic. Chris Claremont. So it's important to know about the writer. We're going to get a little bit into comics history here real quick. Chris Claremont was someone who started working as a gopher at Marvel and was like bringing coffee and stuff while he was in college. He was planning on being a professor and teaching basically English and started working at Marvel. At one point, somebody said, hey, can you help us out? We've got this Daredevil and Black Widow book. And he came up with a couple storylines that are actually pretty well done. And then so people were like, oh, well, maybe we'll give you like a non-credited crack at X-Men. So when they did that, he created Jamie Maddox. He created Multiple Man. That was his contribution to X-Men as a gopher. We've discussed Jamie Maddox on the show and how he recreates himself and his dupes every once in a while just decide they don't like him. And they start running away or whatever. He's a great character. So Uncanny X-Men was kind of in the toilet at that point. So from issue 94, they were like, hey, we'll give you a full-time job. You're a writer now. Here you go. Issue 94 is when he started. By issue 96, he had introduced Moira McTaggart, who had not shown up until that time. She is one of the foundation stones of the X-Men when you talk about I'm not going to talk about anything Powers of X or House of X recently, but she plays a major role in that. But the idea is she's been around for a long time. Anybody that's a fan of the cartoon knows who Moira McTaggart is. She is the human that's always helping the X-Men. The Star Jammers were in issue 107, which brings into play Scott's father and space piracy and Jen's absolute favorite character after she found out his name today, Chaode. Uh, <laughs> Some <laughs> poor voice actor had to be chowed. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, I think that might be my favorite character ever, and I just heard about him. So keep in mind, issue 94, so not even a year later, because starting with issue 101 was the Phoenix Saga. There's a three-year gap, and then he does the Dark Phoenix Saga, which is what we're talking about now. So Phoenix Saga, issues 101 to 108. Dark Phoenix Saga 129 to 138. Now, he had established a bunch of stuff in the Dark Phoenix Saga when he did the Phoenix Saga, not knowing that he would be around in three years. He is famous for hanging storylines in his run that theoretically he did them so that they couldn't get rid of him so that he years later could fill them in. This is the oldest comic that we have reviewed. The Dark Phoenix run was 1976 to 1977. For people who have not read the comic and are only familiar with the cartoon, we have to say that the team is a little different. So the team in the comic book is Cyclops, Jean Grey, Colossus, Nightcrawler, Storm, and Wolverine, who were pretty much the core team throughout most of the 70s. Beast was actually an Avenger during this time. The Dark Phoenix saga also introduced three major characters that would be like and we're just talking about 129 to 138 introduced them it was the first time emma frost ever appeared with the rest of the hellfire club with jason wingard and the psychic gaslights kitty pride and dazzler everybody's favorite is dazzler has anyone watched the old british avengers show 
No. Years ago. No. But I also With Emma Peel and... Yes. Yeah, Apparently, yeah. the entirety of the Hellfire Club was based off of an episode of the Avengers called A Touch of Brimstone. Yep. Yes. All of that is kind of, for a comic book fan, is one of those, okay, all of this happened in this tennis shoe run. So... A tennis shoe run? 129 to 138. Yeah. Well, I mean, if I'm running, I usually want tennis shoes. Ha! But um, oh. That oh. was more entertaining than anything of Dark Phoenix. <laughs> <laughs> He's not wrong. So let's start talking about the comic. Bear, I know you have a lot to say about this. I don't. I have a page of notes that could be summed up in about a 30-second rant, most of which is, this is the list of things that I got distracted by that were more entertaining than reading Dark Phoenix. Beer, a political poll. Beer, my Harry Potter game. Trump trying to deny citizenship to the children of U.S. soldiers born outside the U.S. Beer, these notes, making this list was more entertaining. That's pretty much it. Oh, and uh, there's one note down at the end is where I wrote in, oh, I like the part where Nightcrawler took a shot at Spider-Man. Yes. That's it. That's all I got. Jen? I'm always amused by fashion choices when, you know, you can really tell how old something is by the quote-unquote street clothes. I was highly amused by the inner circle of the Hellfire Club dressed like they were from another century, and no one really noticed or questioned it or said anything about it, I guess because they're eccentric and rich and the inner circle of the Hellfire Club, I suppose. How many vampire players do you think read this comic and was like, oh, they're meeting and it's some high club somewhere with other vampires. Well, I'm going to wear my frilly shirt. When they went to New Mexico to see Angel, and he was wearing 70s basketball shorts and a striped t-shirt and sneakers. I'm like, you are a wealthy dude with angel wings. Come on. <laughs> Bedazzle that shit. Oh my god, something. Staley? I think that was the fashion of the time, though, and I think that he was just trying to be consistent with, hey, I'm wealthy and I'm hip. That was actually rather entertaining, but yeah, most of my notes are specifically about the Hellfire Club's fashion and not so much anything else to do with them, but that 18th century style Yeah. in the 70s, you're like, you know what people would love is what happened several hundred years ago. Yep. Let's talk about that and let's dress exactly that way. My biggest things with the comics versus the movie or anything else was the lack of Kitty Pride because I feel like overall her character and the start of her character was more significant to future X-Men issues and that was completely ignored outside of the comics and even in the comics was very like oh, she's just a little girl, like, don't worry about it. And then she just disappears for, like, the last half of the rest of the comics. I like Banshee as a character. I somewhere hoped that he would appear throughout the movie, and he just never did. But, like, really, that movie, it had it had a good Irish brogue at some point throughout, would have been far more entertaining. You gotta like the idea of a Scotsman that can just scream loud enough to fly. Yeah. It, it makes William Wallace sense. less violent. Going from one kind of ridiculous character to another, one of the characters that I mentioned that was introduced in this seemed, to me, far out of place knowing how she was supposed to be introduced, and that is Dazzler. You talk about clothes, you talk about personifying the 70s and everything. Was Dazzler 
a welcome relief from the other stuff going on in this comic? Or was she somehow a distraction? Did she just add to the horribleness? Well, I was confused because if she was so spectacular at performing, why was she performing in this underground disco? Seriously? Underground disco? Okay. But if she was so amazing a performer and she was dedicated to doing that because of whatever she got from performing, why was she doing it in the skeeziest of skeezy places? That's a good question. Everybody has to start somewhere, I mean. But she wasn't just starting out. She was popular and had a following. And there were big-name discos in New York during that time. Well, you probably couldn't drop those names due to copyrights. and. Well, right, but you could make a... (laughs) Club 73 instead of Studio 54. You know, it could be yeah. something else rather than this like building where I think Scott Summers said it smells like it hasn't been cleaned since the building was built. I think there was a serious lack of drug use given the introduction to Dazzler because there's no way in hell that normal everyday people were like, you know, it sounds exciting. Let's go check this out. Right. I think you're spot on. And maybe that's kind of what they were trying to refer to without being too Without getting blatant. pulled yes. by the comic book code. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. comic book code is in full effect during that time. Yep. I have gone on record as saying as I get older, it's harder to read older and older comics. Alan Moore has been my example this season, not just because of what they're talking about or the fact that what they've done is cliched or, or not at this point now. Writing is smaller. The art is very different. It's a style that I'm not used to reading. How do you modernize Dark Phoenix to work today? Obviously, the movie didn't do it. Obviously, X3 didn't do it. Is there any way to save this story? I think shy of completely retelling the concept that, no, what it was at that time was created, I would say, majorly because of the time it was created and even beyond the artwork and the director for Dark Phoenix, I think, said for him to include any of the aspects of the Hellfire Club and basically the first half of the entire story is he would need a four hour movie. And dear God, thank you for not letting him do that. But it's And also that the Hellfire Club was already in first class. Right. And better told in first class than it was completely ignored in Dark Phoenix. Fair. Person that nobody cares about gets ultimate cosmic power and then something else has got to happen and the whole thing needs to be redeemed. I say you go read the Transformers comic book and watch when Starscream catches the Allspark. That was a better story. Wow. All right. That's a bold statement. Not something that I've read or seen. So oh, we'll cover I it. Get that reference. Jen? I kind of looked at it a little bit differently, like similarly to Bear. At its core, it's the good and bad side or the light and dark side of a personality or of a person and how, you know, you could examine better in a more interesting way why it's not good to go to either extreme. And I kind of feel like that's what they tried to do with Jean Grey. Jean Grey is this lovely person who's good and cares about everyone and has a great heart and is sweet and kind and caring. And Dark Phoenix wants to eat your soul. And they're both really her. 
even though Dark Phoenix is supposed to be this alien whatever, I really think that at its core, that's kind of what they're trying to examine, is going too far to either side. And to Bear's point, I was going to say, oh, would you redo it like John Carpenter's The Thing? That would work, too. <laughs> Starring Summer Glau. <laughs> right? I specifically bookmarked the last page of the graphic novel because obviously I'm not that old that I own these individual issues. But where the Watcher says all beings carry within them the capacity for good and evil, all of our actions result from the interaction of these two fundamental forces. And that concept in itself is eternal, in my opinion. And you can make a million great or really horrible stories such as this one, out of that concept. And so could you retell a similar story nowadays? One million percent. Should it be done in the same capacity or with the lack of the artistic ability, the the character development, like all of the things that went into why this one didn't meet those same expectations for a similar story nowadays? It's tough to say. I like that concept. That concept's been used over and over in other tales, and this one could have been done justice to the same concept, but it wasn't, in my opinion. So I think the root of the issue, for me, is Jean Grey, is who they framed this entire story around. So what I would suggest is a more interesting character, or one that already knows struggle, so that can actually hold up some sort of a fight. I would give the Phoenix Force to David. I would give the Phoenix Force to Legion. After seeing what happened his show and how he has struggled for the three seasons or whatever, that's what I would have made the fourth season of Legion, is basically the Dark Phoenix Saga Legion edition, where he finally meets his father, he's brought into the team, it's a whole thing, and then boom. He's an Omega-level mutant. The Phoenix finds him. And now you're not dealing with, Jean, Scott, Jean, Scott. You're dealing with you. you're dealing with somebody who is already known not to trust his senses and not to trust outside influences trying to break in and influence him. But at the same time, he's just rekindling a relationship with his absent father so then you have a Professor X storyline that we really don't see a lot, and that's Professor X actually being sorry that he's a dick. I want it. Let's do it. I'm totally I, in. I figured that that would be the end result there. What do you guys think of the difference between the comic and the movie, where basically in the comic, Cyclops is the one that up and leaves at the end of the Dark Phoenix Saga, Whereas in the movie, it's Professor X removing himself. They named the school after Jean Grey, like he's done because we know it's the end of James McAvoy ultimately playing Professor X in the end of the film saga. Any opinions or feelings of which character should have left or the impact that them leaving might have had on the future of either had they made another movie or the progression of the comics? I'll say my hidden number four best thing about X-Men 3 is Cyclops dying off screen very quickly. I am not a fan of Cyclops. I find him annoying and Boy Scouty and all the things that are just 
the best part of Scott Summers is when he died and came back as Apocalypse for a while and still had like aspects of Apocalypse in him. That was a great few years before they basically just rewrote him to again be horrible. So yes, my vote is Cyclops. It didn't really matter much to me either way. One school is pretty much the same as the other school. At that point in time, I wasn't particularly super fond of Professor X. He's more interesting than Scott, at least, and I'd probably go that way. But other than that, it didn't really appeal to me much one way or the other. It made more sense that Professor X went away because Scott (laughs) and Jean were together, right? They were dating, whatever. You you lose someone in your life. It sucks, but you move on. Professor X was her father figure, her mentor, her teacher, and could very well blame himself or have others blame him for creating what she became. So it makes more sense that he would leave because he felt like he misused his responsibility. Scott, whatever. He can go scratch. That plays into like various other X-Men storylines as well, because Professor X fails and like Cyclops holds him accountable for this or that. And yeah, like I think universally across multiple storylines, Professor X was the appropriate person to leave because of where it leads the team and their capabilities of somehow going forward if you choose to do that, I guess. There's another podcast called Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men where they go from the beginning of X-Men through. And a theme that they have found is Professor X will fake his death, abandon the X-Men, or just leave at the drop of a hat. Or actually die, sometimes, at the drop of a hat. Not a great figure. It's why I've really found the Professor X the dick aesthetic. I'm not going to ask would you continue to read this comic, because I don't think any of us are going to pick up that late. But I will say... Out there in the zeitgeist, there's enough stories, and everybody should be at least passively familiar with the X-Men to say, what would you recommend that our listeners read out of the X-Men? What's your kind of favorite either storyline? I will go from the cartoon, I will go from a character, I'll go from what you like about the X-Men. And we will start with Staley. Favorite X-Men storyline is probably still Days of Future Past, and that's an old-ass X-Men cartoon or comic prior to. That storyline, whether or not it still pertains modern day, was one of the best X-Men storylines that was still ever written or created. Bear? I haven't read a whole lot of X-Men stuff. The only thing that I can really point to that I personally really enjoyed was Old Man Logan. That whole storyline was really interesting to me, but I've also kind of discovered the more... I get exposure to X-Men stuff, the more I'm really interested in X-Men villains and less interested in the actual X-Men themselves. I am supremely interested in the origins and actual storyline of Apocalypse and Mr. Sinister and, even though it's a different group, Doctor Doom. Those are pretty much all of my favorite characters from those storylines. As far as the actual X-Men themselves go, I'm hard-pressed to put a finger on anything. Like, I enjoy Wolverine just because because he's kind of got the most personality out of the rest of the group. But as far as the rest of them go, oh, until we saw Legion, in which case uh, I kind of fell in love with Legion. The TV series was good. The comic was amazing. That would um, be, yeah, X-Men Legacy, when they started following David. That's the one that we reviewed for that. Yeah, absolutely. That's where I'd be going if it was me. Jen? 
I would have to say David Legion is my favorite. But I also really liked in the newer franchise, I really liked Quicksilver. I mean, I really love that actor. Was it Evan Peters is his name, I think? Yeah. Love that actor, but I just love that portrayal. It's just exactly what I would imagine Quicksilver personality-wise would be like, kind of this like jerky kid, but he actually does care about people and doing the right thing and what have you. And so I enjoyed those portrayals and the crazy CGI stop-motion scenes in the movie. If I were going to point someone towards a character, it would definitely be Legion. Any of the stuff we've read, I, I really have enjoyed in the TV series, just top-notch. Add more about the characters. For me, as a kid that grew up reading, going to the comic book store and buying an X-Men comic pretty much every week, the entirety of the people from the future storyline, which basically brings like Cable, Bishop, Forge, all of those characters into it, which if you watch the animated series, they do a moderate amount of justice with. Those were some of the most interesting characters throughout the entirety of reading that comic book series. And that, whether or not you let Fox and the people that did films like Dark Phoenix or X3 produce such a movie would be dependent on, I guess, who you let involved with it. Those were some of my favorite storylines from it that really never got a lot of representation outside of the animated series. If I was to point somebody to what I felt was a really good newer X-Men series, and keep in mind I've been collecting for a very, very long time. I am a huge Rogue Gambit super fan. There was a series called Extreme X-Men, X-T-R-E-M-E, that started in 2001. The core team is just really interesting. So the team is Beast, Bishop, Psylocke, Rogue. They introduced a newer character called Sage, who's basically her mutant ability is she's a human computer. Storm and Thunderbird, who is the original Thunderbird's younger brother. Gambit joins after, like, issue five. The whole idea is that Mystique, and for years and years in 70s, 80s, and on, they never said that Mystique had a lesbian wife or that had been in a lesbian relationship, but she had been. It was always, like, implied but never said whose name was Destiny. Mystique and Destiny were the people that raised Rogue. Destiny died. Her mutant power was she could see the future, and she wrote all of these diaries. So the whole comic book series is about them trying to prevent this future that this dead mutant had written down. And, you know, you have the whole, well, by doing this, are we actually fulfilling what's going on? And they actually address that instead of it being an accident. It was really, really good. I always felt that it never got the credit that it deserved. It was 46 issues was the first run. Tons of fun. You get a lot of views of different... Bishop shows up at one point to basically lecture them on what happens when you try to mess with fate and time. That would be my recommendation. I really, really like that storyline. X-Men in general, you just got to find the right jumping on point. And I think Dark Phoenix and Phoenix Saga in general was a great jumping on point in the 70s. I think you're going too far back now, as we've kind of discovered here. It is a little hard to follow. It's a little melodramatic. It's very, very dated. It's like listening to music that you liked in the 80s and being like, oh, Funky Cold Medina is not great in a modern that, context. That did not translate well. It did oh. not age well at all. First of all, you're drugging women. 
Um, now I but feel anyway. bad for singing it on karaoke over many years ago. <laughs> college is college, man. This has been our season finale. We are done with season two after this show. Thank you, Josh Daly, for being yeah. with us. Check us out. We're going to be taking a break for a couple of months just to kind of reset, do our whole between seasons thing while we do a lot of other reading other than our homework that we have for this, but also doing a lot of reading for the next season. So the next season, in no particular order, uh, is going to be Hellboy, Scott Pilgrim, Big Hero 6, Blade, Guardians of the Galaxy, From Hell, Judge Dredd, Lock and Key, Venom, Tank Girl, Wonder Woman, and Joker. So that's going to be our 12th episode next season. We are still in negotiation with the lovely Baronessa to see if she's gonna <laughs> gonna do all 12. This has been Graphically Novel. We're so glad that you came and joined us once again. We'll see you next season and take it away Vandello. Oh!